Well, hello there. Welcome, everyone, to Grace. So glad that you've chosen to uh, be in worship today, whether you're online or in person. You know, for almost two years now, we have been going through <clears throat> and enduring this COVID-19 pandemic. And of course, it has impacted not only the United States, but certainly the whole world. And I think I can speak for just about everyone when I say we are just kind of done with this thing, are we not? I mean, like yesterday, we want this thing to be over. We're weary of it. We're eager to move on to whatever new chapter there may be. And for many of us, this last almost two years now has been one of the most challenging times ever in our lives. I don't want to sound self-serving, but if you'll excuse me, I'd like to mention that I think for a lot of pastors I know, it has been particularly difficult. There's no group that I'm aware of as a whole, as a people group, that is more discouraged than pastors are. Just this week, I was reading an article. The author of it is a woman named Kate Shelnut. And the title of the article is, The Pastors Are Not All Right, colon, 38% consider leaving ministry. She writes, pastoral burnout has worsened during the pandemic. A Barna Group survey found that 38% of pastors are seriously considering leaving full-time ministry. All the chaos, all the pressure, the magnifying glass of social media the pandemic, the politics, the hyper-digital context, it makes sense that you have a lot of pastors saying, is this really what I signed up for? Is this what I was called into? And then she quotes an expert who spends a lot of time with leaders, uh, pastors, all kinds of other spiritual leaders. He leads a retreat center in Puerto Rico, Puerto Rico called Caneo Center. His name is Dan White. And Dan White says, prior to COVID-19, burnout was a silent epidemic in ministry leaders. The stats testify to this, but now I might say burnout is endemic. He continues, more leaders are experiencing burnout, even people with regular Sabbath rhythms and vacation times. Their burnout has gotten more severe with discouragement and exhaustion running bone deep. And again, I hope you'll excuse me for mentioning pastors, but I have so many friends in pastoral ministry uh, who are deeply discouraged right now. Some who've worked for years to try to, to pray and to strive and to teach the word and see a congregation grow. With one fell swoop, have seen their attendance cut in half. And they want to know, well, who's still with us and who's not? And that question is probably not going to be answered for many co congregations for months or even years to come. And pastors are tired of all the bickering over mask or, or no mask. Friends have said to me, and I quote, Rex, I'm damned if I do and damned if I don't. On the one hand, if I urge people to wear their mask, 
a huge part of the congregation gets angry about that because they think I'm making too much of this. And on the other hand, if I don't mention mask, a large portion of the congregation is upset with that because they think I'm not taking it seriously enough. I just can't win. But I think you would agree it's not just pastors who are weary. I'll bet all of you have felt COVID fatigue. You're tired of grocery shelves who don't have your, that don't have your favorite items or, or even the necessities that you're looking for. You're weary of all the political tree, intrigue, all the infighting, all the bickering among friends. You're weary of having even your family gatherings hijacked by conspiracy theories and what all of this means and disagreements about whether it's a pandemic or a plandemic, you're just sick of the whole thing. And I just want to say personally that as of next month, I will have been pastor at Grace for 29 years. And in, hey, thanks. You're, you're, pretty, you're pretty sick to clap at that. I mean, you need something really better than that to clap at. Let me t- <laughs> thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. Um, but uh, I, I've been in Christian ministry a lot longer than that. I want to tell you, I never recall a time in my lifetime when thoughtful Christians are just so fed up with the conflict. So, Here's where I'm going today. I want to suggest a strategy for all of us, whether you're in ministry, and and many of you are, by the way, so a lot of what I'll say today will particularly be relevant to you if, if you're involved in leading a small group or leading some ministry at Grace or somewhere else, or if you're just involved in helping people in any way, so much of what I say, I believe the Holy Spirit is going to drive home to your heart today. And the strategy I'm suggesting is survive and advance. Now, immediately, those of you who are basketball fans recognize that phrase, right? Every March, during March Madness, you'll hear that phrase used repeatedly. It is attributed to Coach Jim Valvano, who kept making that statement back during the 1983 NCAA tournament and where, where his team made an amazing run. In my opinion, that is the greatest Cinderella story of all time. So I quickly, whether you're a basketball fan or not, doesn't matter. I think you'll appreciate the story. I quickly want to relate this story to you of what happened and then tell you why I'm suggesting that we need a survive and advance strategy. Now, if you've heard the name Jimmy Valvano at all, you probably know it from the ESPY speech that's famous, right? Uh, you probably know it from the V Foundation because that emotional speech, and his friends were amazed he even had the strength to make it because his body, when he made it, was just riddled with cancerous tumors. He was throwing up constantly. His wife literally carried a vomit bag around because he she never knew when Jim was going to have to just throw up. But somehow he got up and made that speech, and it has been played and played and replayed, and millions and millions of people have been inspired by this speech, which basically said, don't give up. Don't ever give 
up. And it's helped inspire people to give hundreds of millions of dollars to cancer research. But, it, but here's, here's what a lot of people don't know. They may have heard the ESPY speech, but what they don't know maybe is that roughly 10 years before that, Jim Valvano was the head basketball coach of the North Carolina State Wolfpack. He'd been there roughly four years when they made this Cinderella run in 1983. And it was, trust me, folks, it was, it was just amazing. They started the 82-83 season with high hopes, but then Derek Wittenberg, their star guard, shooting guard, uh, broke his foot literally walked around in a cast that they lost 10 games. And when it came time for the Atlantic Coast Conference Tournament, their conference, the ACC, which was at that time arguably the strongest conference in the nation, they had 10 losses. So here's the deal. Here's why that's important. If they wanted an invite to the big dance, March Madness, which at that time only 52 teams got invited to, they were going to have to, because of their record being so poor, they were going to have to win the ACC conference. But nobody gave them a chance. I mean, come on. This is when Michael Jordan is still playing for North Carolina. They're not going to get past Jordan and the Tar Heels. Uh, This is when the mighty Ralph Sampson, seven-foot-four center, is playing up in Virginia two-time player of the year, and he got a third one then that year. They're not going to get past these teams. Nobody gave them a chance to win their conference, much less, you know, do anything in the NCAA tournament. But somehow, they kept pulling out these improbable victories. They won their ACC tournament, They went to the big dance, and get this, they won nine do-or-die games in a row. This is so amazing. In seven of those nine games, they were actually behind with one minute to go. And somehow, somehow, through bizarre strategies that Valvano would throw at them, like, like fouling people, intention, this was not traditional wisdom in those days, to put pressure on the free throw shooter, and it would work. And they would go into overtime many of those games and somehow pull out a miraculous win. And when when asked about his strategy, he would just smile and say, survive and advance, baby. Survive and advance. And that's what they did. As I said, winning nine do-or-die games in a row. But okay. Now, they finally get to the final of the NCAA tournament, (laughs) and everybody's thinking, okay, this has been really cool up to this point. I mean, eight games in a row, I mean, but it's over now because they faced Phi Slamma Jamma. They faced in the final game the team that many people to this day believe is the greatest assembly of athletic ability on any college basketball team ever. They had two future top 50 NBA players of all time, Clyde Drexler and Hakeem Olajuwon on that team. It it was just loaded. Everybody was going, they don't stand a chance. It's going to be a dunk fest. 
It's one of the most iconic college basketball games of all time. And it came down, it came down to a tied game in the last seconds, 52-52, and Derek Wittenberg throws up an awkward 30-foot shot. It's an air ball. But in the last second, Lorenzo Charles, his teammate, leaps up, grabs the ball out of the air, and in one motion, slams it through, and NC State wins 54-52. to I'm suggesting that survive in advance would be a good mantra for us in these difficult days. And now you say, Pastor, is there anything in the Bible that might suggest that kind of strategy? Well, not in those words. But I'm going to suggest to you that 2 Corinthians chapter 1 has a moment in time where the Apostle Paul experienced much of what you and I have been feeling probably for the last two years. I start with verse 8. He says, we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired even of life. I'll bet you felt that way at least at moments over the last two years, you despaired even of life. Great pressure all around. What are we going to do? What does all this mean? But he goes on. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. I see in that a survive and advance strategy. Now, what I'm saying today, I want to make no I don't want to be fuzzy about I don't want you just to survive. I'm not interested in just survival. I don't want any of you to come out of this pandemic, whenever it's all over, with just a pulse and a bunch of emotional scar tissue. You don't want to just survive. You want to survive and advance. But what would that mean? What would it mean for you to be able to say, look, by God's grace, I'm actually at a better place in my life through this pandemic. Well, we could go on for hours probably discussing what that might look like, but I want to quickly, and and I'm going to be so quick with these four things I'll mention, you probably won't even have time to write them down. But again, these aren't an exhaustive list. There's so many things we could say that would be worthwhile goals for all of us. Let let me mention just a few. For one one of them might be to grow in respect to our salvation. That would be a worthy goal. That you come out of this, advancing would mean that, wow, I'm actually growing in my salvation. First Peter chapter 2, verse 2, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. That's God's desire for every woman and man, that we would grow in our salvation. But a second one, similar one, also from the Apostle Peter, 
would be that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.18, he says, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Can you, can you say that? Have you been on a trajectory during this pandemic where you could actually say, look, I'm making progress here. That's what the Christian life is about. It's about progress. It's not about getting your ticket punched to heaven, you know, and, and just, hey, I, I got my sins forgiven, baby, and then just stagnating and staying just like we are. That's, that's not what God wants for anyone. It's about growth, growing in the grace and not. But here's one. You'll like this one. I think one noble goal would be to experience more of the good life that God has for you. You'd like that, wouldn't you? I actually believe that God has a good life mapped out for you. It doesn't mean it will be free from pain. It doesn't mean it will be free from struggle and trial and hardship. But look at what Proverbs 4.18 says. The path of the righteous is like the first gleam of dawn. I, as a morning person, I like the first gleam of dawn. You know when it's been dark for hours and the sun just peaks over the horizon and you see the sun as it rises and then it begins to warm up everything around. That's a description of the life God wants for his people. Again, not free from pain, not free from struggle, but, but generally that we'd be going from grace to grace to grace as he works his will in our life. Let me suggest a fourth one that would be a noble goal to come out of this with. And that would be to kind of grow in our love for other people and in our personal holiness. Let me give you a litmus test to see if you're progressing or not. If you ask yourself the question, do I love people more today than I did back then, whenever then is, 40 years ago? 20 years ago, two months ago, two days ago, whenever you came to Christ, do I love people more today? If that's not happening, then something's gotten messed up with the process. God wants to change us from the inside out, so he wants us to grow. Look, consider this passage from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. He says here, and may the Lord cause you to an increase and abound, powerful words, in love for one another and for all men, just as we also do for you. Watch this now. So that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. God wants us to grow in holiness. He wants us to grow in love. Is that happening? And the bottom line of all this would be that we would be such a people through the pandemic. We come out of it and people would think more of Jesus because of their acquaintance with us. Now, I just want to tell you, that's just four or five things there, four or five statements that if you just said, that's going to be my goal, that's what advancing looks like for me. I want to tell you, that would be a noble goal to have. But how do we get there? It's one thing to have a noble goal. It's another thing to know how do we possibly get there. Well, that's what I want to spend the balance of our time talking about. I believe there are three things that we must, we must, we must learn 
if we're to come through the pandemic and say, by God's grace, I survived and advanced. Number one, learn that every hard experience in life has an opportunity in it if we'll just embrace it. This is big. And if you get this, it has a way of kind of turning you into a little bit more of an optimist, honestly. Because what you recognize is that there's a blessing attached even to, to the hardest experiences in your life if you're just willing to look for it and to then embrace it. There's an old parable about a Chinese farmer that I want to share with you right now. It was recently shared by the quarterback Tom Brady. It's been a around everywhere. It was first started back, at least in the public awareness in the U.S., back in the 1960s. But it's about a Chinese farmer and his son and their horse as they worked their poor farm. And one day, the horse ran off. And his neighbors came to this Chinese farmer, and he said, oh, what misfortune, what bad luck for you. And the farmer said, maybe yes, maybe no. We'll see. A few days later, the horse came back, bringing a whole herd of wild horses with it. And the neighbors exclaimed, what good luck for you. And the farmer said, maybe yes, maybe no. We'll see. Sometime later, the son was trying to tame one of these wild horses, and he fell and broke his leg. And so the son had to hobble around on crutches and had to rest most of the day. He couldn't help with the farm chores. And the neighbor said, how sad for you. Farmer said, maybe yes, maybe no, we'll see. And then a short time later, some soldiers from the National Army marched through town, recruiting all the young, able-bodied men to come and fight against some invaders who were threatening them. And all the young men in the village were recruited, were drafted into the army, and many died. But the farmer's son was left out of the fighting because he had a broken leg. And the people said to the farmer, what good fortune. Your son couldn't fight. Farmer said, maybe yes, maybe no, we'll see. Say, Pastor, what's the point? Isn't that just teaching a stoical attitude toward life? Not so fast. What we need to learn from that old parable is that, look, even the best things in life have a downside, and even the worst things in life have at least one, one upside if we're just willing to see it and embrace it. And here's the bottom line. We shouldn't be so quick, any of us, to immediately judge the events in our life as just bad or good because usually it takes a lot of time before we see the full implications. And Christian, can I say something to you? It's going to take eternity not just a lot of time, it's gonna take eternity for you to see the full implications of all the things that God has allowed in your life. So sometimes we'd be a lot wiser to cop the attitude of that farmer in this world and go, maybe yes, maybe no, we'll see. 
Now, I tell you this because I think some of you thought I had lost my mind a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago, I stood on this platform. I looked out at you and I said, I will forever thank God for this pandemic. And you were looking at me like, he's lost his mind. No, I mean that. Because I think this pandemic has meant for many of us a reset. It's like a reboot. It has given us a moment to reevaluate our priorities and get some things straightened out in our lives. It's been a marvelous moment, I think, to reexamine in spite of all the horrible things that have come with it. One thing I know for sure, God has been working through all of these days for our good and his glory. Now, Christian, I hope you will dwell regularly on Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. So what are you going through today that is difficult? I tell you that every hard experience in life has at least one upside if we're willing to look for it and embrace it. And that's true in this pandemic as well. And if we're going to survive in advance, we need to learn that lesson well and always look for the potential upside in things. That is the first thing I would say we need to learn. Second, this gets really personal now. Buckle your seatbelt. I would say if you're going to actually survive in advance, you've got to learn to grieve your losses. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. Here's, here's a message you kind of get through the Bible, that life brings grief. Think about what the apostle Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1. He said, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. That's us. That's us going through this pandemic and some of the griefs that that has brought to us. So what kind of grief is in your life today? You see, you grieve whenever you lose someone or something that you value. That's grief. Grief is just a natural response to loss. And my theory is that most of us don't grieve our losses very well. Terry Wardle has a saying that ministry is a series of ungrieved losses. I think he's absolutely right about that. And again, let me say, this is so relevant for this congregation, Saratoga, Half Moon, Latham, because such a high percentage of you are involved in meaningful ministry. So I'll bet this applies to you big time. That's one of the best descriptions I've ever heard. Someone in the church dies, you love them, you appreciated them, you're going to miss them like crazy, and that is a grief. But you don't really have time to grieve because Sunday's coming whether you're ready or not. There's a sermon to prepare, there's meetings to go to, there's details and logistics to get in order, and whoa, here comes a staff meeting. And then you find out that there's a family in the church that's going to be moving. It's all good, they're leaving, 
because there was a wonderful job promotion in another state. It's all good stuff. But still, because you invested for years in that family, that is a loss. But hey, you can't grieve it because there's another crisis over here that you got to run to. And then you've got seven letters to write today. And then there's like two dozen emails waiting to be answered. So stuff those emotions down. Grief will have to wait. And so you just stuff it all down and stuff it all down. And you wonder, when am I ever going to deal with this? I noticed an interesting thing happened when the pandemic started. When Deb and I realized our gym wasn't going to reopen, I got my old bike from the basement, dusted it off, and began to ride it as a way to get some exercise. And uh, as the weather got warmer, I took longer and longer rides. And here's what I noticed. Out on those long rides, all alone, out in the beauty of nature, a strange thing happened to me. I started having these huge, powerful waves of grief and emotion sweep over me. And you know what I discovered about myself? That I had a lot of griefs, that I, a lot of losses that I had never grieved. And I just stuffed the emotion down. And you close a campus, and wow, that's a big grief. And then you have a staff person transition out. And that's a grief because you'd invested so much in that staff person. But you didn't have time to grieve it because you had to immediately start finding their replacement and try to make sure that all the things they did, they did got taken care of. And you're running and running and running, trying to keep up. But you're not grieving. An impression without an appropriate expression, leads to depression. And here's what I'm concerned about for some of you, that you, like me, have just stuffed a lot of emotion down over the last two years and beyond. And maybe you haven't grieved it very well. And I believe that some of you, some of you are walking around with a low grade of depression. Oh, it's not clinical. It doesn't mean that you need to be medicated for it necessarily, but you're literally walking around with a low grade of depression every single day, largely because of ungrieved losses in your life. On those bike rides, I just cried. I cried and I just cried all alone out in the beauty of nature, just God and me communing. And I began to grieve some of the enormous losses in my life. What about you? I'll bet you've got some. Think about some of the losses you've had during this pandemic. Folks, I want to tell you, life as we knew it is not coming back. Normal is not coming back. Jesus is, but normal isn't, okay? That's not all bad. What are some of the losses you have? Some of you have lost income. Some of you have lost jobs. Some of you have lost family members to the pandemic. Some of you have lost fortunes. Some of you have lost dreams. You've had marriages fail. Have you taken the time to grieve these losses? You say, well, pastor, how do you do that? 
I honestly have no idea. Because as far as I know, and I've asked a lot of people, experts. I've asked people who do counseling. I've asked therapists. I've asked people with doctorates in psychology. I've asked people who've spent years at doing therapeutic work. How do you grieve a loss? And I don't get many good answers, honestly. Because it's not like, not like you can flip a switch and go, hey, for the next 30 minutes, I'm going to grieve. It doesn't work that way. It just, it just kind of comes on you like it did on me on those bike rides. But I do make I will make three suggestions. One, I think it takes time. Don't think you're going to do it in a day. Experts talk about the two-year window, that that's a typical window for grief when you lose someone perhaps in your life. Well, I would suggest to you that often it's much, much longer than that. And second, I would suggest to you that if you're going to grieve your losses, it's going to require grace and vulnerability. Vulnerability. I think that's a hard one, especially for many of us men who from the time we were little boys were taught not to be vulnerable. Do not show your emotions. Do not let anyone see what's really inside of you. Have a tough exterior. And then you get married, and your wife wants you to be vulnerable. Wow, how do you do that? What is that? And we're clueless. So I, I think it's going to be a learning curve. It's going to be time, and it's going to be vulnerability. And then I would add a third one going to take more time. I have an acquaintance in North Carolina who spent his whole life in the pastorate and doing therapy with people. And he, he has a saying that I, I like. He says, you process grief by talking about it until you don't need to talk anymore. That's about the best thing I've heard. You process grief by talking about it until you don't need to talk anymore. And if we're going to honestly survive, not just with a pulse, but to actually go forward and advance through the pandemic, I think we've got to grieve our losses. But here's my final thing, and I mention it quickly. We must learn that every moment matters. I'm starting a three-part series next Sunday with that very title, Every Moment matters. The series we're going to do is all about the rewards and promises God has for those who are faithfully living for him. And here's what I think. If we're going to advance, we need to learn that everything we do in this life has an eternal consequence for better or for worse. Everything, folks, every moment, every motive, every word we speak, every prayer we pray, Everything matters for eternity. I don't want you to miss that. We're going to kick it off next week. I want you to get everything God has for you in that series. So let me close today by saying this again. Normal isn't coming back. Jesus is. We can rejoice in that. And we can honestly survive and advance by God's grace. So let's do it together. Let's learn that in every hard experience, there's at least one upside if we'll just embrace it. Let's learn to grieve our losses. Really grieve them. That's a good thing. 
It's healing. It's wholesome. It's helpful. And let's learn that every moment matters. Father, thank you for the grace you lavish on us, your people, for all that we're learning through this crazy, crazy time that none of us would have ever predicted. Help us, like Paul, give our lives for the one who raises the dead. Let us give our lives for something that matters. Let us learn that every moment you give us on this planet matters for eternity. So I pray for those who are going to start grieving some losses. I ask that you would help them because it takes grace and vulnerability. I pray that you would be right there with them and let them know it. Let them know that you will never leave them nor forsake them. And help them by your spirit, Lord, to not just survive, but to truly advance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.